Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back, everyone. This is Jeff with Gyro Nation Metal. Cryptopsy is one of Canada's most well-known names in metal for a variety of reasons. They're fast, intense, and have great musicianship, and each of their members are highly revered for their contributions to the world of metal in both Canada and on the international scene. Christian Donaldson has cemented himself as a sought-after name after mixing and mastering music for a huge variety of bands, from Volvodinia and Suffocation to The Agonist and Shadow of Intent. He's also worked with some of my previous guests, Atre Billis, Beyond Creation, Divinity, Eaten by Sharks, First Fragment, Fracturus, Obvert, and of course, Cryptopsy. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Christian about his experiences in making and mixing music. Christian, it's good to meet you, and thank you again for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. It's such an honor. I definitely appreciate that, and it's an honor for me as well. You've become quite the name in metal these days and are well sought after because of your talents, so both in making and mixing music. So where did this all begin? When did young Christian get pulled into the world of metal? Young Christian? Oh, that's a fun. That's the first time I, I hear it. <laughs> Okay. Uh, what do you mean? Like when I when I started listening to metal, when I started playing, I believe I probably have the same path as like ninety nine percent of every uh, guitar player out there. You know, just pick up a guitar, playing some Metallica riffs, and then you know, so on and so on. You know, but I remember with my first band, we just like hit up a studio, and uh, I was just I don't know a control control freak. Everything everything like the guy was doing, I was like, no, do it that way, do it that way. Even though I had absolutely no clue what I was doing or saying, but but I just thought I was a control freak. And in the end, it turned out to be a disaster. But, <laughs> you know, you live, you learn from your mistakes and you just grow, uh, you just grow with that. Do you think some of that sense of control that you wanted kind of led you to the audio engineering side of things? I absolutely think so. Because I had several uh, other like uh, recording sessions from, uh, from different uh, engineers and uh, every time, you know, like really good ones, but every time it was always like, oh, no, 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 you have to do it that way. We have to do it this way. I, I was even producing like my own band, even though we had a producer. I don't know. I guess I just really, really like to have my hands on everything for my own band. And, you know, at some point, you know how it is. You just decided to be like, well, in that case, if I'm going to, you know, be annoying with all these producers, might as well do it myself, you know? So at least I'll be yeah, annoying no, no. to myself. <laughs> Did you start playing in a band first, or did you focus on the engineering side of things? Oh, I totally started playing in a band first, and I played okay. for a band, and then I even studied, I even studied uh, guitars and jazz guitars in college. Uh, so, and I was like 100% guitar player, and, I, and that was my goal. And I'm gonna be the best guitar player in the world. And then I just discovered, you know, computers and engineering, and I was like, oh, wait a minute, I. I know I kind of I'm not that good at guitar. Some guys are way better, but I'm like I could be really good at that instead. And I I don't know I just liked it. Well, that's cool. And clearly you've done a good job. I mean, you built a whole living out of it. So that was a good path to take. That's probably the hardest path. <laughs> oh, probably. You mentioned that you had you took some formal education in college regarding guitars. Did you have like a music centric degree, or was this just something you had like option classes in? No, no, it was a uh, college. I, I, really, I really have a degree in jazz call and jazz guitar, basically. Okay. I studied that. It was uh, I just wanted to know everything about music. And then, how long did that degree take, and what was it called? Uh, it was just called jazz guitar, and it was in a okay. in, in in Quebec. You know, we have something called Cégep, I believe. It's like pre-university. Basically, so it's like three years of that, and this is what I, you know, this is what I took. Uh, probably it took me a bit longer because I have like other mandatory classes like uh, philosophy and uh, literature. You know, we don't care about this, but so that's why it took longer for me. But uh, the music side of things, like I, I've done everything in three years. And is that about average when you're talking about that type of degree? Yeah, basically it's three years. Yes. Okay. In learning formally, is there any 
obviously there's some positives to the degree itself. You bring that back to your musicianships, but are there any limitations that maybe that style of thinking put on, placed on you inadvertently? I don't think so. I mean, it could be if you just decide to be by the book. But uh, the thing that's interesting is like it just, uh, first of all, you can put a name on things. That's maybe mainly what, what's happening. It's not more, it's not much like, for example, if I write anything, uh, I don't care about what it is. But in the end, I, if you feel like it, I could explain it and just put a name on it. So that's probably what music, you know, uh, brought me. Uh, but in the end, it's art and there's absolutely no limitations in art. But if there's one, if there's limitation, well, you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. I chatted with Greg Burgess of Allegion and he was talking about his experience in school and they basically, they encouraged self-directed learning as well as like practice off hours. How was that similar to you? And was there any, I guess, support for experimentation? But you know what I like the most about like school is uh, to hang out with other guys, other dudes. I guess you learn so much just by talking with them, just by looking at their playing and just like, you know, I think that's the most uh, interesting and uh, the way I learned the most that and also I, I've learned how to practice, if that makes any sense. You know, there's a, like a sense of uh, self-critic. And that's probably another thing that uh, I don't think I've, I had before college, because basically you just have to put yourself in front of a mirror and be like, OK, uh, I suck. So now what do I do to not suck? And that's really uh, something that was helping a lot. Well, it's difficult to see yourself in that way as well. I mean, a lot of people go through life just thinking that they're good at everything. But to actually truly progress, you need to say, I suck sometimes. You it's it's so funny because you know, it's, it's actually by recording myself the first time that I realized I was less good than I thought. But I just think the brain is really good to make up or make believe, make you believe that you are good and just like probably uh, patch all the flaws that you can make into your playing. But when you record mm -hmm. yourself and just listen to it back, you're like, oh, wait a second, I'm not that good. And then... I believe like even recording myself helped me uh, progress way faster. And then on the audio engineer side of things, were you kind of working on this in tandem with school or is this something that you kind of discovered afterwards? Because um, the funny thing is like, um, I was jazz college. I was sorry, it was jazz guitar, but there used to be some um, extra classes, you know, like options of recording studios. And it was really, really back in the days. Uh, it was like in 98 or something. So, I mean, like technology was nowhere where it is right now. So it was really like the, uh, you know, like old school way. But there used to be like those teach uh, those classes that I, uh, that I took. And it was really, it was fascinating for me. It was just like something that I really, really liked to learn uh, about like how everything was working and, uh, you know, midi or you know two inch tape and everything like what is a compressor what's that and i know i was i just got very very interested into all that domain and so so i kind of uh, basically i was spending more time in studios than in my guitar class at the end of the the three years you know mm -hmm. in the beginning did you start mixing and mastering for yourself or f did you have were you seeking out clients right away i was i've started by to mixing and mastering for myself uh with whatever like tools I had back then, because I would, you know, DAW didn't exist back then, so it was not uh, you just it was not like you get a computer and record everything. It was really uh, different. But uh, I remember like I was having this eight tracks, and I was recording every uh, pre-prod before going to the studio myself. And it's when I realized that my pre-prod sounded better than the album itself. I just was like, okay, maybe I'll try to you know do something with this. You know? And who were some of the first projects or bands that you worked with? A, a bunch of bands that nobody knows and then I can't even remember the name that I, I remember I've been doing this for you know maybe uh, nine, 
at least four or five years of just recording like like nobodies and for for extremely cheap or even if not for free just to base you know to get to get experience but at some point i was recording a band that was called the tempest uh and later on they just got signed to a label and they changed their name for the agonist so that was really uh, oh, shit. where basically my career took off when i just recorded that band it's funny because we recorded an ep with five songs if i'm correct and then they just decided uh after they just decided to re-record two songs because like i don't know they had better songs so we had to mix match the the sound of the previous EP we recorded to the new two songs and then they mm -hmm. got signed and the label asked them to re-record a couple more songs after that and it was a bit of a mess but uh, it really uh, it was one of the first projects I had called The Tempest which, who are now The Agonist and if I remember correctly off the top of my head you've been working with The Agonist for quite some time now so you guys have allowed that to blossom into like a long-standing relationship yeah, I've, I've I've known the band since forever. Like Elisa was uh, still in the band. Well, actually, she even started the band, I believe. Or uh, no, Danny started the band. And she joined after. But uh, yeah, I know I I know the band for uh, as you said before their first album. So mm -hmm. talked earlier about technology and then off starting like to offer your services for free or really cheap. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced when beginning when learning to mix and master music, and how has that changed over time? Well, the biggest challenge is that there was no uh, internet back then, so that was really a problem because uh, there was no content, there was no, uh, there was no way to find information. So you just had to get magazines about uh, sound engineering, just read as much as you can, or talk to people that was doing that, and that was the, you know, that's the thing. I think the biggest challenge was like the the fact that you could not find like the like one millionth of what we can find right now online as information so so you had to basically be creative and uh probably just try and error a lot because i know there's a lot of stuff that if i would have known before it would have taken me way less time yeah and like you said it's a whole lot different now with with the amount of information that you can receive also with things like um okay so Naive question. I don't really know 100% how this works, but did you have to have like hard physical media back then? I guess there was no way to save it. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, when I s first started, it was uh, on a, uh, it was called like digital audio tape, like that or ADAT. So that was like the cassette, like the basically the, the, the ADAT cassette. So yeah, so that's the thing you needed to have. You know, if you had like way more money, you can get like reel to reel tape, but that's that was different because like just those machines were impossible to buy. So. But uh, as a home studio, I believe like the ADAT thing was the like the the ancestors of what like DAWs are now these days. But after that, I bought myself a computer with Pro Tools, the 5.1, whatever. We're like at we're, we're way beyond that these days. Uh, and I actually I even I forgot the question. <laughs> so. <laughs> No worries. It was mostly about like um, the challenges that you faced when beginning. And actually, my secondary question here is: Did you have any formal education when it comes to musical engineering? No, because there was none. So that's the okay. Thing. So it's not that I didn't want to, but there was just none. Like the the thing that I uh, the only thing that I had is like those uh, option classes in my uh, jazz college thing, but these were so um, rudimentary. I don't even know if it's an English word. But, uh, they were so archaic, or it's just so um, there was absolutely nothing. There was just showing not much. There was like one console and. That's about, like one console, one ADAT, and that's about it. So just try to make it work. You know? You've talked about having to learn through like reading magazines and finding your own information. Were you able to learn from anybody else? That's when I've learned the most, when I started working from uh, other people, because I kind of caught attentions for some uh, 
some bigger bigger names back then you know and they were like oh maybe we need someone to uh, to help us basically being assistant from uh, for for other engineers and this is where i you know basically this is where you learn the most where you understand that okay Uh, this world is not just my own bubble inside, and mm-hmm. I have to be able to make my my work. Um, uh, let's say, uh, I, I, my work needs to be able to translate in other studios. So how do I do that? That's the biggest issue sometimes. Because for example, if someone works on a you know on a, a doll named Cubase, and he's like, okay, well here's my Cubase file, but if someone else works on a different doll, let's say called Pro Tools, it's not going to work. So you need to find a way, like an universal way to that's going to work everywhere. And that was the thing because there was no information, so nobody knew how to make the universal way. So you have to invent the universal way. And that's probably where a lot of that trial and error came in. Yeah, exactly. But you just you just kind of understand as as soon as you understand that you might not be the only one who works on a project, like things your perspective changes a lot, you know. What is the process like for you when a client comes to you and wants them to, or wants you to engineer their album from the front to back? My process. What do you mean by that? I'm not sure. That's actually a good question. I'm not a hundred percent sure, so I'm very ignorant when it comes to the the mastering side of things. So when a when a client or a band approaches you, what is the process like in when it comes to you guys meeting each other and then obviously figuring out their desires for their finished product and. How do you adapt what they say into your own style? But I mean, these days it's a little easier since uh, most of people who reach me know my work. So it's, I mean, it's easier. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh yeah, I know what he's doing and this is what we're looking for. So basically it's most of the time that we, they know what they want. They know what I can provide and we basically have a rough idea that it's going to work. So that's, that's, let's say I'm lucky for that. Uh, but you know, what I like to do, for example, is like when there's a band who, uh, We're gonna start working on a project. I like I like to have um, some demos that we can just basically take a listen first of all and be like, okay, this is gonna be really cool. If if I'm producing the whole thing, if it's not just mixing, if I'm producing the whole thing, we can just take a listen, just write down some ideas. Maybe we could you know rework on some structure. We could uh, think about uh, some little harmonies here, or maybe this is bothering me. We should just change that. Like little little details like that will be like the starting point before they try to build everything else but some other bands are really happy about their you know like their songs and for them it's like their babies and they basically just want me to uh, get get the best performance that they can have and they don't really want me to be that involved into uh, the, the writing but no matter what happens i mean in the end i'm always involved in the writing whatever i do i just can't help myself you know i'm still i'm a control freak so. <laughs> In listening to you, it seems like you can take a variety of approaches, like as far as the amount of control that you have, the amount of involvement that you have. So I guess there's a huge variety in the amount of, inter- not intervention, but involvement that bands would like you to. Yeah, but there's a lot of different ways also. Like like recently, I've been talking to people. Um, I'm having some chat, basically some, uh, like we're, we're having right now, some video call with the band to just to, to, to try to see eye and eye on something to be like, okay, man, okay. Because I know I have a way to do my, to do my, uh, my recordings. Like for example, I do things very differently. I like to do guitars first and then drums at the end, but some bands don't really like it that way. They want to have like a real vibe of the real band. So if we can just discuss that, uh, in the beginning, we, we know, we know what's up and we're going to find like, the right approach for the band to make the, the best album possible. You know? And you mentioned earlier that a lot of bands come to you now knowing what you can do. But in the past, have you have had any disagreements with bands about the finished product or how you worked? All the time. We, I mean, uh, if 
if you don't have disagreement with the bands, uh, well, you're lying. Because I believe every producer <laughs> will have disagreement with, with, with something, at least. Uh, but yeah, you know, back in the days, it, it was way different because uh, it was more like, oh, okay, we want to sound like this album or this album. So you just try to refer, like, put those albums in reference and be like, okay, man, how am I going to do this? Uh, I have no clue. Since at the end, since like later on, you develop your, your own sound and... And this is when it becomes more interesting because this is what they want. Like, for example, if some clients tell me like, oh, I want to sound like this or this album you produce. I'm like, okay, I know exactly how I did it. So we can, we could, I, we could try to replicate this, but in with that, you know, with that band's flavor on top. Do you notice like a difference in attitude when it comes to either new bands or well-established bands? And if so, which ones are normally easier to deal with? I don't think it's, I think it's case by case all the time. You know, mm. I don't think there's any easier or harder people or, or so it's really, you know, as I said, case by case, like some bands like really know what they want, even though they're established or some band, like even they're established and not so sure about little things. And some bands that are just starting, they, you know, sometimes it's interesting because if it's a newer band, we can just try some stuff out and try to create uh, the band sound at the same time, which is interesting. But uh, I really do believe it's case by case because some people really know exactly what they have in mind and we just try to... F my, my job is just to find a way to get there. And then in your experience, is it safe to say that a lot of people choose to work with you rather than against you in their finished product? But, man, we're a team. I mean, yeah. we're always going to be a team because we, we want the same thing in the end. We want the album to be kick-ass, and that's the thing. Sometimes, uh, you know, we don't see eye and eye on some stuff. I'm like, okay, I really liked a, a drum that is super punchy, but they want to have something a bit more uh, raw. So, you know, we have to f compromise all the time also. But most of the time, that's what I said these days, it's getting better and better because they, they know... They chose me for a reason. Mm -hmm. And in that choice, um, when you're choosing to work with a band, do you actually have to personally like the music or are you okay with mixing and mastering music that you're not personally drawn towards? Well, I have to uh, I have to say that I'm very lucky with that. I like everything. <laughs> I just like good music. It really doesn't matter what style it is. I mean, obviously I'm good in metal and I, I really don't think I'd be able to engineer any other style personally, but I do love everything i do like from from a folk to pop uh, to uh, rap to uh, classical to absolutely anything i just there's two types of music it's like the good one and the bad one but there's no <laughs> genre you know okay well so that obviously gives you like a much more open-minded approach to uh, engineering music too yeah and you're always going to find something like interesting in any in any bands or any songs you're like oh man that riff is amazing even though if it's not like your cup of tea whatever you're still gonna bang because that that part is amazing fantastic you know and so when you're listening to something, doesn't matter the genre, you choose specific things that you enjoy, not necessarily the song overall. Yeah, and some, when you're working okay. also, it's always like, uh, you, you don't you don't see the, you see the final product only in the end. So it's always like, like try to put like, like build a house, but, but, but by the, while you're building it, you're just putting brick and brick and brick and brick. And in the end, you're like, oh my God, this makes a house. But you know, at that specific moment, you're like, man, that brick is amazing. Let's just put it here and just put and this other brick is fantastic. Oh, let me try this brick instead. And, you know, so this is how it is. But uh, you're so much into that uh, that project that you really just focus on this specific, like, two seconds of a song that is, um, has, that is fantastic, you know? 
Well, and sometimes the song is listening worth listening to just for that. Oh yeah, it's true. It's just that it's uh, it's such a different process because you really analyze every every little detail that when you just take and you just press play, you don't hear them all, or or you you can hear them all, but you don't analyze or focus on those mini things. You know, for example, just a just a slide like to get to reach another note. You don't you're not gonna hear it. You're just gonna hear the riff. But for me, like that slide has to be the perfect slide. You know, little things like that. So basically, over the last thirty years or so, you've been tempering your talents when it comes to engineering. Back in 95, you founded the Montreal's Garage Studio and ran that until approximately 2014, if I'm correct? I'm not sure it was 95, because 95 I was 15, uh, but it was close to that. Okay. Maybe maybe 90, uh, 98, 99, something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, basically, uh, it's funny because it was in my uh, my parents' garage, so I call it the Garage Studio. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Nothing's changed, I guess. <laughs> no, it's still in the garage. It's just uh, not my mom's anymore. It's mine. <laughs> <laughs> so at that time, like you said, you were 14, 15, and 95. So you were, what, 18, 19 when you started that. Were you accustomed at all to running a business, or was this kind of your first venture? Oh, it was not a business for me. It was really uh, <laughs> it was just a hobby, and not, not even just a hobby, but a, a passion, basically. You know, it was a passion. So you don't even think about those things. You just go with the flow. Mm-hmm. I remember I used to work in a record store and you just when I when I was back from that record store I was just you know working on bands and I was also teaching guitars uh, and when I every time I was finishing my job I just decided I was going in the studio and it was not even a as you said it was not a work or a business it was just I need to do this mm-hmm. after my work <laughs> kind of something to keep you going yeah, but I think that's what it is because it, it, you've put so much hours so much energy into that uh, into like engineering that uh, if you don't if you don't have the passion, you stop because it's going to be way too much for you. And there's the amount of hours you do or you need. It's it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Over the next twenty years. Oh, earlier I did say thirty, so I apologize for that. So over the approximately the next twenty years or so, I think we're nearing seventeen at this point. You continued to work with a multitude of bands at the Garage Studio before shifting gears to the Grid, if I'm correct. Um, what were some of the biggest differences in building up your first studio versus when you got involved with the Grid? Uh, the main difference was the location, actually. Mm-hmm. Since I had, we, uh, I just moved like from my my parent basement, and we, uh, I, I remember there was a studio that was uh, closing, next to uh, next to where I lived back then. The studio was just shutting down, and I was like, oh, that would be so cool to to work at that studio or to own it or you know to rent it and something. And then the, some guys reached out to me like, hey, do, do we like? Would you like to partner just to? Uh, to you know rent that place and we can just have the studio for us to record bands whenever we want it and i was at first i was skeptical because it was a lot of money but i just decided to jump in and basically i, I basically lived in the studio at that studio and this is what became like the grid and so basically just the location was different because the rest was all the same and then, so obviously you're no longer associated with the grid. What prompted that change? Did you just want to focus more on a home studio type thing? No, no, it it's, has nothing to do. Basically, honestly, I believe it's more, uh, it's a bit of a tricky subject because it's more legal reasons. That the, mm. the, just the name that changes. It's absolutely just the name because the rest, nothing changed. I still own the same place. I mean, I still rent this, the place that I'm recording my drums there that I used to with, with the grid. And I, I mix here that I used to uh, at my home studio that I used to mix here as well. So basically, absolutely nothing changed except the name. So at least as, as long as it's not too confusing. No, fair enough. And so the Garage Studio was open for maybe 10 years prior to you getting involved with Cryptopsy. 
So what's the story there? How did you meet the rest of the guys and how did you become a member? Oh, that was a fun story. Very fun story. Uh, I basically was into a guitar contest uh, in Montreal. And uh, I was I was good enough back then because I used to practice a lot. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah. So I was at the guitar contest and I just started winning a lot. And at some point uh, there was... Um, well, one of the judges was a Cryptopsy's guitar player back then, Alex Olburn. And then he just saw me play. And then uh, he basically made me lose that contest. So I was like, fuck. <laughs> you know, I was really bummed out. I didn't know. I was like, what the fuck? You know, I thought I was good, whatever. And the next day at the record store, I receive a phone call from him. He's like, hey, Chris. Uh, yeah, it's Alex. I was judged yesterday and I saw you play. Uh, I made you lose because if you would have won, you'd have to go to Toronto for the final and I need you to come with us on tour with suffocation in two weeks. So I was like, Oh, okay. I guess I'll, <laughs> I'll just, uh, so basically I lost a contest, but I kind of won a, a job. Yeah. That's crazy. And you were able to just drop everything and go through it. That's pretty cool. But that's yeah, I had to, because like just to learn those songs, uh, you know, we have two weeks to learn like 12 cryptopsy songs. And I'm like, Holy fuck. Okay. Yo, I have to do nothing else. I had to quit my job. I had to just, to pr I had to learn those songs basically. And it sucks that he made you lose, but at the same time, it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, it's, I mean, at this point, what if I would have won? I would have got a, what, a medal? That's it? Was it at all weird joining a band that had already been well-established in the world of metal? And for you, was there any pressure to live up to, like, the Cryptopsy name? And for example, like, even now, the Nun So Vile record is considered one of the, the best Cryptopsy record, records. So for you, was there any pressure in that regard? Uh, Yeah, but at first, you know, I was just... Uh hired to play uh, like the, the the tour with the band so for me it was like okay I, I just have to play the song the best i can that's my dub you know so that yeah of course it's it's there's a lot of pressure because you want to play you want to be the best and being a control freak i just wanted to be as best as i could but uh you know as long as the like the years passed i just became more of an active member and now i feel like the other pressure was like, am I going to be able to write something that is going to, that's going to stand out for cryptopsy? Is it going to be like cryptopsy enough? And that's always pressure because, you know, there's, as you said, the fans, they really loved this and this about the band and I want to bring them that. But on the other hand, I also want to like it too. So that's, that's some kind of a pressure. But in the end, I just realized that if I do something that I enjoy, uh, for sure, like it's going to, it's going to people will feel it, you know, and it's going to sound more, uh, it's, it's going to sound like it's enjoyable because it's, I think that the energy will be, uh, will translate through those songs. More authentic. Exactly. That's most important is to be authentic because of course I could write some uh, mock-ups of Non So Vile, but if it's not something that, that I feel in the end or the whole band feel, I don't think it's, it's, it's going to, it's going to show and it's going to be a bit of like a dollar store version of Non So Vile and it's not what we want, you know? And I think it's important that people realize that bands change over time. So even if it's the same members, like obviously sounds change. So you might have your golden era, but then changing the music might bring in other fans or expand the listener base, right? It's it's 99.9% .9 of the case. They're still like ACDC <laughs> and maybe, maybe yeah. Cannibal Corpse. But uh, most of the time, yeah, I believe every band kind of changed throughout the years. You recorded as joining Cryptopsy in 2005, and you weren't featured on an album till The Unspoken Kings, so the same as Matt. As both of your first ventures into the band, looking back on it, what are so, some of the successes and the failures of the, the album, and how did you change things for yourself moving forward? That was a weird album, because uh, I, it really, you listen to the album, and I can just relive the vibe of the band back then, and I, I believe like the, like the band was looking for something, 
and some members just left after and nobody really know what they wanted for some reason you know and since like i think john levasseur was a big driving force of the band and since he he left the band around this you know like on the previous album the band was a bit more on a free for all kind of like uh how can i say that uh free for all um journey and he wanted to experiment some other stuff and uh, since i was new in the band i i didn't really wanted to uh, step step up and be like no we can't do this they'll be like no but you're new in the band so let us do our thing but i remember uh me and matt like we're not super happy honestly about how it was which is funny because like people blame us <laughs> which is weird <laughs> But uh, no, I mean, like, the only thing you can do after that is just to, as I said, like, took over, uh, take over and just make it authentic. I believe that's what it was. Maybe it was not authentic enough. There's some songs that I remember I wrote on the, on the album that I wrote entirely. I think they were authentic back then, but I don't think they sounded that cryptopsy. Mm -hmm. Whatever it may means. So in a way, you kind of were in a musical limbo because, like you said, there was no direction and... It wasn't, I mean, you guys were brand new to the band, so I mean, it, maybe you guys weren't as cohesive as a group yet because you hadn't had those discussions. You hadn't really had that time to foster a good relationship. I really believe that uh, the relationship I have with Matt and uh, well, basically the whole band right now, uh, it's it's really nothing like it used to be. It's really, uh, the core is strong and we know exactly what we expect from the others and they deliver and everybody does their job very well and we know what we like. I, I really believe, like, I since I joined the band, I never saw some, like, the band that is so united as now, basically. That's really good to hear. And especially with, um, from what I understand, some new music is coming out, so at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, but... we, there is uh, new music. I don't know how much I can say about it, but uh, yes, there is new music coming out. I'm excited either way, so, and obviously, the more, t I don't want to say the more time you guys take, the better it'll be, but I'd rather it be able to sit there and digest a little bit to make sure it is the best product you guys oh have. i can't do anything it's, it's been delivered I, I can't change anything it's it's done it's done i am very awesome. happy myself uh well of course i wish i could have mixed things differently it's always like that yeah. you know but but uh, i'm very happy where it's uh, where it's going as a fan that's really cool to hear i hope you like it <laughs> i probably will <laughs> you and matt both joined within a couple of years of each other and from your perspective how did the band come to meet with matt and how did he join uh, how did he join? Well, I toured with Lord Worm a lot myself, like by a lot. Mm -hmm. I believe uh, maybe three, four years or something like that. And uh, I, I still talk to the guy. He's fantastic. He's a really, really nice guy, a good friend, and uh, funny as hell and smart. It's insane. But uh, he was, he was basically fed up. You know, it was just, it was like I'm, I'm fed up. He's too old. His parents were not mm -hmm. doing so good. Uh, he didn't want to tour because the touring life is, it's not easy. And uh, back in the day, he was he was 52, so it was already a bit... He thought he was old for this. I don't think so. You can look at Ozzy, but anyway. <laughs> but uh, still, so he stepped out. So he decided to leave the band. So we just made, did additions to, uh, to, to try to find the best replacement. And since the guy wanted to have, like, some clean vocals in the band, for some reason, they decided to audition some, uh, some of the people that we knew that were great singer and since matt was uh i believe he was a broadway uh uh trained singer so we just decided that you would it could be a good fit and in the end it, it turned out to be the perfect fit and now now that 
we know that he's a Broadway trained singer. We just don't allow him to sing anymore. So it's, that's it's awesome. <laughs> Seems like that's worked um, wonders for you guys as well. Because I think a lot of the fan base for Cryptopsy kind of shies away from at least clean vocals with Cryptopsy. No, but I mean, it was something. And we even tried to, I mean, even on the newest album, we tried some little parts where we could try some melodic things, but it was not suiting the music at all. So I just feel like, I don't think we'd be close or uh, close to the idea, but uh, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit, you know? Well, and like you said, you have to be passionate about it. It can't be disingenuous. So it has to be something that you guys enjoy. Yeah, if it fits well and you're like, man, this is killer, well, I'll back it up 100%. But if it's not working, it's I'm not going to try to fit a square in a in a circle, you know. Jumping around just a little bit, I'm curious, are you still active with mythosis? And did I say that properly? Uh, mythosis? Yeah, but the funny thing is like, no, we're not active, but we never really call it quit. So we'll okay. see what's happening. I, I, rem- I have an EP that we never released. Maybe I should try to mix that at some point and release it, but uh, uh, I kind of miss it. That was fun. I mean, uh, I was playing music with my best buddy, so that's an, that's a different story. You know, it's not it's a little less of a business, and it was more for fun. But uh, it was I, I really liked it. The music was hundred percent what I was having in my head. You know, maybe maybe we'll release it again. It'd be cool to hear. I mean, I just checked out some of it today, and um, I'm sorry, for those listeners who are unfamiliar with mythosis, what are some of the biggest differences between cryptopsy and mythosis? It's more of a chimera strapping young lad uh, on steroids, basically. That's what I, I believe it was compared to extreme death metal, you know, and there is a lot of, uh, there's clean vocals that I believe fits, more a gajira type of, uh, <clears throat> like, choir strapping gajira type thing. Uh, so that's basically the main influence and it's, it's not as death metal there's no blast beats it's more uh, groovy also so it's not the same style at all then you already answered my question about coming up with new music so let's jump back into the engineering side of things so you've been mixing and mastering now for quite some time and I've spoken only with a small fraction of people who have sought you out they've all had nothing but great things to say so from like personality professionalism to how welcoming you are and of course the finished product it's all lies um, if I remember correctly, it was Chris Chaperone from Eaten by Sharks who spoke about spending time at your place while the album was being mixed. So from your side of things, what is the process like when you work with the band? Um, do you always have the same kind of approach or do you sometimes work remotely with people? Um, I believe it was Chris who said that you actually invited him out to the place. Yeah, yeah. It was supposed to, uh, to, to go to the grid, but uh, things changed and I just decided to, uh, to invite them over to the recording because uh, I could do like lots of guitars here and I can do, I could do guitars I could do vocals I could do bass in my place because it's it's easier these days you can just record like the eyes and reamp them after so we mm-hmm. just decided to uh to have like the you know full experience and it was like summer too so it was really fun to have like barbecues and fire by you know by the and we're close to a lake too so I mean it was really fun and I thought it was less stressful than just being like into like a studio four walls it was easier just to go outside. Oh, you can see a bit of nature. That's more fun, and just take a little breather. And it's, and for me, obviously, it was more, um, more relaxed. You just wake up. You don't have to go anywhere. You just go, just start working, and that's it. So, with your home studio, that you have enough room in there for all the instrumentals as well, not just the mixing portion. <clears throat> as I said, we can do guitars and and we can do guitar, bass, and vocals at my place. And uh, the drums, I go to Montreal into my drum room to uh, to record it because it's like you know, a drum would not fit in a basement. It would be way too loud oh, okay. anyway. So for you, it's mostly just um, 
I mean, obviously, some of it's practicality, but some of it's just the size of, of equipment. Yeah, but for drums, you need a, a like way, you know, you need a different approach. You need a huge room. You need the way more preamps and, uh, excuse me, you need a lot more gear than just uh, how to what you need to record guitars or vocals, basically. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, guitar and the vocals, like my stand, doesn't take up much space at all. The kits are huge. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the kits are huge, and uh, it's not it's not rare that you can uh, come up to thirty two microphones, you know, on a drum kit. So that's you know, you need a lot of resources. Earlier, before we we were recording, we spoke about some of your upcoming clients that you're having from different countries across the world. So, when you do chat with a band, is the invite generally always there for them to come down and spend time at your place, or is that something that you guys kind of flesh out through your chats? But it depends. I believe it's 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 convenient for everybody because we know we have. Uh, uh, it depends. If it's local bands, uh, most of the time they they want to stay at their own house, you know. But if it's a band that it's coming from very far away, like it's uh, it's it's more convenient for them to have a place to crash. And uh, if we can just crash at you know and and work right after, it's easier. It's easier that way. But uh, I I believe it's just just a matter of being convenient. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, like, it's probably a lot more convenient to have everybody there in person rather than trying to work out these issues um, digitally or remotely. But I mean, there's sometimes when I just do mixing, uh, it's funny because I did that also. There's a band like from uh, from UK uh, called Losaya that I just um, I, I basically finished mixing their EP like not, not so long ago. And uh, that was from like, what I, from came what out I two remember, or three weeks ago, I think. Sorry. Like, but it just got released two, three weeks ago or something like yeah. that. But I remember when they were doing like the sound check. Uh, they were sending me some files and we were having some audio mover and a zoom meeting and just like I was listening to my speakers and I'm like okay maybe you should just put that microphone a bit like further away just sub the face can you try this microphone instead and all that stuff so I was giving them cues on how to record the drums before they send me the the files and I really like doing that I mean I, I like to do it myself but I mean it's it's not I, I can't afford just to go like on you know on trip around the world every time there's a guy who's recording a drum that'd be fun but uh, a bit tiring too no doubt. Well, then you'd always be away from home too. That's that, not that always too. a bad thing, but everything yeah. in smaller doses, I'd say. But uh, you know that that was really helpful, and in the end, since like they did that, I received. I knew exactly what I was going to receive, and it, it it went way smoother for the mixing stage. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the finished product, what are some of the biggest differences that bands or customers generally tend to seek out? Um, something I can imagine is like, oh, we want the levels of this instrument a little bit higher, or we want this type type of finish, like a raw black metal finish or something like that. Yeah, but I don't think like raw black metal like reached me a lot, to be honest with you, because the uh, I'm I'm a bit more on the polished side of things myself. Uh, but you know, it it happens a lot. Like they want to have more dynamic, less dynamic. They want to have the they want to mix in general or the mastering to be. Uh, really loud, or they want it more quiet. Uh, you know, it just—that's the thing that can differentiate uh, between bands. And obviously, uh, let's say if it's a it's a guitar-oriented band, probably a bit more guitars there. But uh, it, it's even like within a song, it's always case by case. It's all automations. For example, uh, like this is a very important guitar part. It's just raise that part, and uh, this the drum has to shine. So now a bit more drums here, and. Uh, but mainly, I would say dynamics. Did you want to have more of a raw drum sound or really more polished? Uh, little things like that. You know. Have you had any strange requests? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I did. I can't remember like right off the bat, but... Uh, um, what did we do? Well, we record a, recently we recorded some, you know, uh, cowbell. That was fun. Oh, yeah, I recorded a... We recorded a beer. That was fun. 
Oh, that's another thing. And <laughs> it's a true story. That's uh, a very strange request. I'm glad I remember. Uh, this band called Get the Shot. Uh, they wanted to have a really fat sound, so within the recording, we recorded a poutine. Like, there's a poutine track throughout the album. <laughs> That's awesome. Lots of gravy, lots of uh, you know cheese and uh, dirty fries. So yeah, poutine track. I don't know if it sounds good, but it tasted great. That's definitely not something I would have expected to be on a metal track. Uh, if you want to have the extra fatness in the mix, just get the poutine track. <laughs> um, do you notice any big differences when it comes to the engineering settings in different musical genres? Like you've obviously worked with a huge number of people all across the metal spectrum. If there's a difference between, uh, you mean uh, be between genres? Uh, yeah. Well, a difference, well, like a difference from your side of things, like as a producer, um, are there differences in the way you mix and matter certain genres or are there certain things that you focus on, say, with death metal versus like a progressive metal? But if there's a band that is going like super fast, let's say from like, like, like Cryptopsy, for example, uh, we need to have, um, I, I prefer to, to have tighter snare drums because it's, first of all, easier to play. And I've, I believe it cuts better through the mix than something a bit loose. But I don't think there's any, you know, rules are make, meant to be uh, broken because sometimes I can have like a really fast band but really want to have a super loose, fat snare drums and it, it will work as well. But I know, for example, when I'm working with uh, orchestral bands, uh, things are different because you have to uh, you have to put a, you have to make space for orchestra, and that's always a challenge because, like you know, orchestra is a full range, full range instrument, and the metal band is a full range as well. So try to cramp those two full range together on top of each other. It's always uh, it's always more tricky than just recording a you know straight up metal band guitar, bass, drums, you know. When you are making recommendations to bands, um, are there times that you say recommend different types of instruments or certain sounds uh, based on like your previous experience? And generally speaking, are bands receptive to this? Yeah, yeah, bands are very. Cool. When we start, when we do a full production, we always shoot out guitars and bass before before everything, because uh, I know maybe they have their favorite guitar that is easier to play, and they, or whatever their aunt give their <laughs> give their guitar to them, and uh, they really love it, but. The, the sound is the most important thing, so we just try to shoot out, like, I don't know, like every guitar we can put our hands on, every bass we can put our hands on. Same with drums, you know, sometimes they have their drums. I do have a couple drum kits myself. We just try what fits the best, what sounds the best, and what they're aiming for as well, you know. It seems like you take a completely collaborative approach with the bands. Like, they might have a little bit of direction, but you're also giving them back, and in, in, it's a team-building thing. It's not just one person or one group take control. That's the thing. It's always a team, and I mean, I mean, I probably, I probably know more of the engineering uh, side of things, and this is why they choose me. But I, they know more what they want, so let's just try to, you know, work together and build the best, uh, best product possible. Well, and like you said earlier, you both want the same thing. You both want the album to kick ass, so exactly. that's probably the best way to do it. And sometimes I'm definitely gonna like suggest some uh, change in the structure or or different things because I do like this and for example there's a part that I really like I'm like man this has to be a bit longer it's just too good and and, and most of the time like they agree or they didn't see it that way and they don't have like the outside uh, the outsider uh, point of view and that that helps too you know when you do make recommendations about like either song length or um, certain aspects that should be added or taken away from the song is it is it common for the band to go back and actually redo 
the song itself or redo some of the instruments. If that makes sense. Like to like for example, if I just want to change the structure, you mean or? Yeah, like so I don't know anything about that as well. Like the changing the song structure. So do they actually have to go back and reproduce the song for, in order for you to have those changes, or is it something you can they mess with the audio level? But sometimes and... we we try to do this in pre-production process, so okay. so it's easier that way. So obviously it would really suck if we just record everything and we have to re-record because we just want to take up one part. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, that's another reason why most of the time I'm trying to do uh, drums at the end because this is the hardest thing to change because of like the 32 microphones and up. To change the guitar, it's easier. You can just basically cut through the the, the computer and you just cut through the, the song and just change some little parts if you have to because most of the time like the songs are dialed in but some little change here and there. It's uh, it's easier to do on guitar tracks than, than on a, a full drums, you know. And I may have missed if you said this earlier, but you just finished finished saying 30, 32 microphones or thirty microphones. That's and that's just to track a drum kit. Yeah, yeah, it's not or a uncommon. Drum track it's rather. Not, it's that's really crazy. not uncommon. You can have that, but less if the kit is smaller. But I mean, it's not uncommon at all. And the more microphones, essentially, the more flushed out the sound is and more accurate. Would, would that yeah, be the more say? problems you can create as well. You can have that's a lot true, of phase yeah. issues and stuff like that. You have to be careful, but. Uh, you know, it's always like I, I like to spot mics every symbols, but you can really have a lot of. Uh, you have to be careful because if you just throw microphones just like that, it's going to sound like a big pile of mess. And so I'm guessing that you have to focus on like where the microphones are placed, uh, how far away from the instrument, and I mean with with the drums, you have the drum, the cymbal, the snare kits, all that kind of stuff. So you have to like deliberately place them. Yeah, yeah, it's very important. Uh, well, it, that's that's another thing. It's very important because this is all. Uh, well, it's science. It's uh, physics, basically physics mm -hmm. of sound. But there's also the physical part of things. Like uh, if they have like a massive kit, I know it would be better to put it there, but it's physically impossible because there's a symbol in the way or something. So you have okay. to kind of compromise with the, like, with all these little things and try to find the best way as possible. And drum kits are one of the more complicated instruments for musicians because they have such a kit. You can't just take a cymbal and move it to a different place. We're trying Whereas to. Guitar, Sometimes I, carry it around. I, I'm always trying to have a chat also with the drummers because uh, if if they could move some little things around to help me out, it's going to be better. Sometimes it's going to be like harder to get the best performance out of it. But uh, in the end, if it's better, since it's not a live show, we can just do it again. And mm -hmm. as we chatted about. You're well established in the world of metal and musical engineering. So this has been met with some obvious success, allowing you to build now a team with your current uh, studio. So when it comes to building and maintaining a team, what are some of the criteria that you personally have fulfilled or to have to have fulfilled before inviting a new member on board? Well, first of all, they need to be uh, friendly. You know, you don't want to deal with like, you know, assholes. It's been annoying. They have to be also very, uh, what's that term? They have to be uh, uh, reliable. That's another thing. It's very important, and uh, probably uh, control freak and picky. That's that's what I like. Obviously, because if someone just butchered a job in the end, I'm just not gonna hire him again. It's and also like, for example, I know like I've been I've been recording a band like uh, in France, uh, I think one or two years ago, and I needed to have the drum track edited right off the bat as soon as I was done recording the the drums. So. I had to send it to the, to my assistant. Can you just like edit them right now and just send them back right now? And uh, the fact that they are reliable is it's a, a huge lifesaver for me because I cannot you know sometimes like there's a crazy deadlines and they really need to be there to to help you out to, to help you meet them. You know? 
When you're chatting about staff, you mentioned that say if they butcher a job, you won't hire them again. So do you work with staff on a, like a contract basis or do you have people on permanent employee that you work with consistently? I have my, my go-to uh, that I really love that I've been working with for uh, since forever. Uh, there's like my buddy, uh, John, Jonathan Mazzeo and uh, Dominique Guirimar from Iron Dissonance. Uh, Jonathan is from uh, Bleed Someone Dry from Italy. And those two guys, like they are passionate and they have... Uh, they have basically the same uh, work ethic as I do. So that's why I really like working with them. Understandable. And I mean, they obviously have proven themselves to you and you to them because you continue to work together. The thing that is cool too is like you build a relationship. Like I know, for example, uh, now they know, for example, if I want to have something that is edited, but a bit looser, I'm going to say like, can you just do a, we have like basically codes I know what it, so they know what I want if I want to have something super tight you know I'm going to tell them mm -hmm. like a code green go tight motherfucker you know and I want something a bit more loose and like yo uh, loose it up or whatever <laughs> things like that that's a great way to go about it at least you all have the same sense of what needs to be done exactly but yeah but we need to know they need to know what I want and I'm, I'm expecting something they know what I'm expecting and and they deliver it so that's perfect Chat about some of the benefits of working with um, with people that you have long-standing relationships with. But for you, what are some of the best and alternatively, what are some of the worst things about working with the team? I don't think there's any worst thing. It's really uh, unless unless as I as you said before, if or um, if the team is not uh, ideal, that's going to be really shitty. But I mean, if the guys like they they are the right fit for you there's absolutely no cons in my opinion because you need to first of all the the, the workload will be uh, reduced so that's that's good on your mental health and mm -hmm. second uh you, you're way more efficient you can deliver product way faster so it's a win-win and it seems and just speaking with the guests that i had on the show here it just seems like when people remove the ego out of the process it makes everything so much easier and I would say if I was looking, if I was going to answer that question myself, I think when people have an ego or like a personal agenda, that's the worst aspect about working with a team. But if you're working collaboratively, there's there's nothing wrong with it at all. And in, in fact, you get more things done and better. Yeah, but I mean, even though with the band, uh, some people have egos and some people don't have egos. I remember like, I, I have ego too, because sometimes like I have an idea that I'm like, no, dude, you don't understand. It's a great idea. And you try and I try to push it on the band, but it's not a... <laughs> Sometimes like there's a reason why they don't like it, and it's it's always good to be receptive, no matter what. I mean, this is like in everyday life, not just in studio. Ego can really create a lot of problems and unnecessary problems. Well, and there's nothing wrong with having an ego, so long as you're open to criticism and feedback. I think that it's important to, like you said, kind of talk with everybody and and kind of understand where they're coming from. You might don't have to agree, but understand it it's fun to be cocky but <laughs> at least, yeah. but he, as long as you know that you're joking it's it's all right you know? for somebody who can be seen like as a boss or the head of a company how do you work collaboratively with your team and where are some tips that you'd give somebody looking to get into the engineering side? it's funny that you say that because i don't think i'm the boss uh, the bands are the boss that's because this is they're hiring me basically you know so i'm just an employee you know if you see it that way and, it's a good uh, attitude i like it and i'm hiring other people to help me help them so it's a bit yep. of a weird chain but uh, that's how i see things yeah. and do you have any advice look uh, that you could give to somebody looking to get into production and engineering of music don't sleep <laughs> <laughs> no i mean uh, you, you get you need to get the to put the hours that's for sure and just be passionate don't do this for any any other reason than being passionate because you're gonna lose your mind if you don't if you're not passionate 
Now, kind of switching gears again. So back in 2020, if I'm correct, uh, you were a featured engineer on Nail the Mix. And so we chatted a little bit before the show. And let's see, you said it was URM. Um, URM, URM Academy. Academy, yes. Okay, so tell me a little bit about that. It's a it's a place to learn engineering, essentially. Exactly. They're basically... Uh, look, I wish I... I used to remember that pitch by heart. I forgot it anyways. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's an academy where they basically uh, like like take like a song that like some really one of the best songs like uh, on Earth. Like for example, there is a uh, Meshuga songs in there. I think there's Gojira in there. Uh, I did some Shadow of Intent Beyond Creation. And uh, basically they, 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 they have guest mixer and they just show how to mix their album uh like how they did it exactly and they do it live on on air and people are asking questions about uh, how it makes the album and you can just like you know you, you help people evolve with this it's a very nice community mm-hmm. no now that i think about it i did have a previous guest mention this on their uh on my episode with them but i think they were just doing it as a i think they were just starting out i could be wrong so i don't want to say who it was but yeah this is a great idea because you can learn formally, but then you can also learn from home and whatever is convenient. And also, the cool thing about this is like you deliver the multi-track to to uh, to the guys, like to to uh, the the students, and they can mm-hmm. download them and mix them themselves. And at the end, there's a competition also, so you can win some really cool prizes as well. So that's uh, that's very interesting, and you and you can learn like way more like how things work. Like for example, if you download the Mishuga track, you can just take a listen on on how that was engineered, and you can learn a ton. You know, this is really cool, and then. You said also before that there's the the live aspect where you can sit down with an engineer. What, is it one on one basis or is it no? It's uh, it's basically like everybody that kind of die they want to tune in while they're doing their uh, their nail the mix as it's called, and uh, yeah. they just start just start mixing the songs from scratch or or basically to just show how they did it on the album and and people just ask questions you know about like how did you achieve that bass drum sound? Oh, I did that hmm. and this and uh, you know. And then so this. This uh, URM Academy, this is specifically for production of music. It's not for instrumentals or anything like that. It's really just for mixing, yeah, mixing and mastering. Okay. And also there, there is a another thing called URM Enhance. It's funny. Uh, I could, I could, <laughs> they should hire me to sell their stuff. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, basically, it's it's a there's a collection of fast tracked about like a bunch of different things like gain staging, uh, like EQ compression, uh, basically everything you need to know. It's very deep. Sorry, I'm just looking at the website here. This is really cool. I like the idea that people can just go on the internet and learn how to do this stuff nowadays. It's so much different. Yeah, that's what I said. I wish I had that back in the days, you know? No doubt things would have been a whole lot different. I mean, granted, technology's changed quite a bit since that time, but I mean, the onset of the internet was invaluable when it comes to exposure and as well as resources. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, the thing is, like, now that they're... they're that there's all these informations the 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 pro is like you can learn very fast the the con is like everybody knows everything so you just have to be ahead of everybody and just be better so that's another issue well christian so basically my last question for you today and touching back to your personal musical tastes um you said you're into a huge variety of music so for you currently who are some of your favorite bands or bands that are on heavy rotation it's funny because like these days I only listen to bands I'm working on because I don't have time to to listen to anything else because I'm just I'm like fuck I have to take a listen to if the kick is too loud or if uh, little things like that so it's, it, it gets obsessive at some point like I have my headphones before going to bed to listen to mixes I wake up in the morning I go work on mixes and uh, even when I'm driving to the studio I just put on my mixes too to see if they translate well so basically I'm listening to uh, 95% of the music I listen to is like stuff I produce just for uh for because of my work basically but if the other five percent it's probably my wife who takes like the 
<laughs> the possession of the car and <laughs> so uh so in that case it, it could be uh i know she likes uh beyonce she likes avril lavigne <laughs> i'm a huge uh, civil war and john paul white fan i don't know if you know that ben i, I really like that very much it's very relaxing And uh, I used to be a massive Radiohead fan. Now I still am. I just don't have time to listen to their stuff anymore. Uh, but if I talk about metal, uh, there's so much good stuff. And uh, Mishuga is already a classic for sure. Strapping Young Lad, I loved it. Uh, uh, Gajira, the early Gajira, I really liked it. It's, I mean, I don't know. Everything. Everything is so good. That's totally understandable. It seems like... Personally, like my genre, my my taste changes over time. Like I'll go through phases where it's like either thrash and then death, and then I won't listen to those for quite some time. And it's only like black metal or blues or something like that. But yeah, black metal like Emperor is fucking sick, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. I, I remember. I don't know if you have that, but when I'm listening to some songs, like I remember back then I was listening to Death, and I was like, man, this is the best band of the universe. And then I just put another CD, like I know Pantera. I was like, oh, this is the best band in the universe. And then <laughs> you just put something else, like Mishuga. You're like, no, this is the best band of the universe, and everything is just the best band and when i just listen to it you know and i think part of it is that they all sound quite a bit different so you can pick out those things like we were chatting about earlier that you really enjoy about the music and i think there's like an endless supply of wonderful talent in metal it's crazy there's always one thing that will move you and this is what you this is what i liked it, it, this is what i like in any style of music and this is the thing that i will just like rely on and that will just me let me say that this is the best band on earth because it just moved me you know? One thing I like to look back on, and this is going to be kind of stereotypical for some people, but the Spotify wrapped at the end of the year, and I don't necessarily just mean that, that's just a good example, but like over time, you subconsciously choose certain music, so to be able to visualize that and see what you've listened to throughout the year, like, oh, I didn't realize I liked this so much, but the cool thing for me is when that music just draws you in and you don't even think about it. You know, that's it. Like, a... I need to listen again. First of all, I'm, I suck with that because I'm an Apple guy, so I don't even have Spotify. <laughs> so I'm, I apologize. And the other thing that sucks is like probably a, I, when I just look at what I'm listening to, once again, it's only bands to compare, you know, for, with other styles. So, like, for example, mm -hmm. it's just like bands that I'm listening to the sound. So ah, sometimes it's just like this job is amazing, but you just get submerged in it. You just can't get out. It's just your job. You live your job, basically. Well, you're mixing business with pleasure. That can't be easy. Yeah, sometimes you feel like I wish I, I, I've... It's been a while since I haven't listened to music just for the fun of it. It's been a while, and uh, I remember really loving it. So I'm probably going to try to do that one more... Uh, one Once... Uh, one of these days. People obviously know where to find Cryptopsy's music, so my question here is... Um, People looking to hire you or to work with you, where would where's the best place for them to find your services? Is it just on your website or are there other places as well? For me, for my studio, yeah, the website is always the best way to uh, to reach me. You know, uh, Christian Donaldson at Commerce. Uh, I don't fuck. What is it actually? <laughs> <laughs> I did have it up earlier, and now I don't. That's that makes. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I'm so stupid. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, ChristianDonaldson.ca. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I just type that in and that's the one that comes up, so that's perfect. I can't even remember my website. Wow. You're not the one visiting it, so you're all good. Yeah, it's like my own phone number. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not calling me. <laughs> exactly. Christian, I just want to thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me today. It was a blast, and uh, yeah, truly thank you. It, it was an honor. Now, thank you very much for inviting me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon.
Thank you.